So thank you very much. It's so good to see you. I, some, I have the temptation sometimes to just let you go. It's probably better for you in some ways. So, all right, it's good to see you. Uh, welcome back. Now, we are in strange times, right? So there's no Bible study or Sunday school next week or the week after because you all disappear. You think you want to come, but then next week I'm standing here all by myself, which is a bad, bad idea. And only half the kids have Sunday school teachers, and then everybody wonders what's wrong. And so... Take next week off, take the next week off, and then come back. We'll have about three weeks, and then it'll be Christmas time. It's 47 days till Christmas. Yeah, okay. Mixed response about the baby Jesus. That's never good. But, uh, okay, I mean, play it how you want, although you should listen to the gospel when you do. So let's, uh, let's pray and let's go. Almighty and everlasting God, who wills to restore all things through the work of your well-beloved Son, our King and our Lord, Mercifully grant that all of us, all nations and all people, divided and wounded by sin, may be brought under your gentle yoke, the gentle yoke of redeeming love. And with you and the Holy Spirit, who lives and reigns ever one God, give praise to you, O Father. Amen. Okay, here we go. Questions about anything? Uh, There's a lot cooking over the last couple of weeks. I know uh, in some ways people are getting the rhythm back a little bit. Uh, we've run out of hosts at the Eucharist. Uh, I mean, run out means I've, you know, I had one, last, one left last week and two left this week. So technically, that means Mary Caesar is perfect. Technically. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, her joy is my pain because I'm actually counting noses. And the butchers thought I wasn't going to commune him this morning. So I just, it, was, uh, it wasn't anything personal. It just, I just, I was just... I was down to my last body and blood of Jesus. So anyway, that's good. People are coming back week by week. Uh, everybody's on a different schedule. Everybody's thinking about this differently. You can kind of see things coming back together. That's a nice thing. So um, welcome your old friends back when you see them. Every week we see new people. That's really fabulous. Every week more kids. Uh, that's, that's really good. Sunday school is, you know, louder than you are. That's good, too. So it's, it's really fabulous. So we're trying. Um, you know, and thanks to everybody who's helping to make it work. So the tree will go up in a couple of weeks. Everything will be great. We will have Tuesday like normal, so there'll be dinner on Wednesday nights. Uh, so come for dinner and then uh, stay for a bit of calm and candlelight. You can wear your jammies. Jammies are optional, so you can go right home and go to bed. Footy jammies are preferred. Give it, but uh, you know, however it works out. Okay. All right. Good. So um, on life goes. Uh, So I'm just, you know, you've heard this before, but I just want to, what I want you to be able to do, you should be able to walk out into the world and you should be able to see clearly because there's only a few things to remember. So for example, in the church in my head, I have an image in my head that I can draw on one page about what the church looks like as it engages the world. And I have an image in my head, you know, one page about what the rhythm of the Christian life looks like. I have an image in my head, one page for baptism, an image in my head, one page for the Holy Supper. You, to engage the world, to not be surprised, to not react, to be generous, to be loving, to engage other people, to know you're at A and you're going to B, you've got to have a clear, clear thought in your head. The problem is, and you're experiencing this, for anybody who's my age or a little younger, everything is changing. Language is changing. Morals are changing. Uh, the way we run things are changing. Dissatisfaction. That's all changing. If you have kids... My kids' age, so, you know, 20s to 30s, uh, 
they've absorbed this, you know, in the way that they're digital natives and uh, they have to fix your, you know, Apple Watch for you, the way you have to fix your old man's VCR that was flashing, right? <laughs> Nothing changes, right? It's just, but they have a whole different idea about how the world works and it comes to them quite naturally. And if you can't think about that clearly and speak to that clearly, then you get these disconnects and that's where things get shattered and then people come apart and then we can't figure out why you know, nobody talks to each other anymore or why you know, Christmas dinner is so uh, uncomfortable. So what you need to be able to do is see the world in a particular way, very clearly in the way of Jesus, but not be you know, constantly offended and not constantly be giving offense. You know, neither, you don't, you don't give offense, you don't take offense. You move through life with the confidence that we speak the words of Jesus and do the things that Jesus has us do, and the Holy Spirit goes to work, and the results belong to him. The future belongs to Christ. It does not belong to you. But you got to get out of the way. It's the same way with us. we got to get out of the way. Um, I know Christ is going to do his bit. The question is whether I'm going to do my bit, whether you're going to do your bit. You know, this room full of people having fun with each other, as diverse and, and different as you are, um, is proof that it can happen. But it doesn't happen by accident. And if you don't work at it, you don't keep it. And that's been part of the whole, you know, talk about transition and where we go next and where we're going, how all these things work together. You know, this is the church I always wanted to belong to. You're it. You're the church I always wanted to belong to. You know, hey, you're ahead in the fourth quarter. Don't blow the lead, right? So, you know, let, and there's different ways you can play this, right? You can, you can get, you know, you can kind of huddle up in the fetal position in the corner, or you can keep doing what's important to do every day, come what may, you're in Christ's hands. So all of that is in play. Now, having said that, you know, you need to absorb these very basic things like uh, trust, um, bestows truth, for example. Love bestows trust, trust bestows truth. So here we are. Trust and truth are intertwined. And the order goes trust and then truth. This is why, and you know, we're beginning to talk in elders and governing board about when I go and when the next person comes and how that's going to work out. Very consciously, you know, with Pastor Nelson now with, and with Pastor Kendall when he was a vicar and now that he's back, very consciously, we have chosen a model of pastoral care. You have pastors who are all kinds of things. You have pastors who are therapists. They shouldn't do that. They didn't, didn't go to therapist school, unless they went to therapist school, I guess I should say. You have pastors who are motivational speakers. You have pastors who are CEOs. We've very consciously chosen the model of pastor as the one who cares for souls. What happens then is that you create these relationships, but people stick, Right? So I don't know if you kind of look at how your kids look at Pastor Nelson as a great example, right? We're trying, to create, we're trying to create this environment where when your kids do something really stupid, they come to the church, they don't flee the church. That's the deal, right? The very first sermon I ever preached here, if you remember it right, was about the pastor who went and got the kids out of jail. He got up really close to them. Do you mind? They had uh, thrown paint on the next-door neighbor's house, who also happened to be a church member. Um, they called their parents. The parents said, hey, have a nice time in jail. The pastor was called, and he got really close, and he pulled him through the bars and said, have you been baptized? And then the kid, whenever the kid said yes, he's like, okay, let him out. Bail money, right? That's the way life works. So, and that's what you're meant to be with each other, right? So you create this relationship of trust, 
and then people believe you. Do they believe you all the time? No. Do they obey you all the time? No. But here's the thing. You don't believe Jesus all the time, and you don't obey, obey him all the time either. So what's the deal? We're all the same. But we need to be the same on the way you know, toward Jesus and not the same going the other direction. So here you go. We've committed to this particular way, and what I've tried to explain over the last couple of weeks is it works like this. Love delivers life, that builds trust, and that bestows truth, which is basically, if you love people, they'll believe you. If you love people enough to create a relationship, they'll believe you. If you love people enough to create um, you know, a relationship where they know it's good for them, they'll believe you. So I just have to say, you know, growing up in the church, I love going to church, but the single word that I have for my entire church experience until I left for college was no. Everything was no in my church, right? <laughs> we had a beautiful gym, way better than the one here, but we couldn't play in it because the elder said, no, it would cost too much to turn the lights on. I'm going, hold on. So you got a bunch of kids who actually want to be at church playing in the gym, and their parents paid for it, but no, you can't do that because it would be too expensive to turn those lights on. You kind of go, so here's the thing. If you came to New Members yesterday... I apologize, you didn't get a donut. You know why you didn't get a donut? Because the young kids came, Pastor Nelson was taking them to do good stuff at at a food bank, and of course they saw the donuts that were there for the new members, and then I had a moral choice, right? I needed a, a, I actually needed a moral theologian. They're like, can we have donuts? So you have a bunch of little kids, ninth grade, eighth grade, seventh grade, sixth grade kids who have gotten up to do some good work at eight in the morning on a Saturday. How could you possibly say no? Right? Can we have a donut? And then, of course, you know, there was one kid remained nameless, but I'll talk to his parents later. Who said, "Can I have two? Right? <laughs> so I took this as a victory that our relationship was strong enough. And then I not only let him have two, I showed him how to rearrange the donuts on the plate so it looked like he hadn't had any. Life skills. Okay, so, so you see, this is how it works. You love people enough, you create a relationship, then they trust you. And then they believe you. That's how it works. And what you'll see is, that's exactly what Jesus does to you, right? He comes to you. He loves you. He does good to you. You welcome the good. You trust him. And then when he says crazy stuff, like I'm the living water, or this is my body and this is my blood, when he does crazy stuff, you're like, huh, I'll need to think that all the way through. That could, that could actually be true. Because frankly, if you just look around... The world isn't going that well on its own. So, uh, we're all the way to point number two. Now, we talked a little bit about reasoning. I don't want to go completely there. uh, However, I just want to suggest to you, what I've tried to suggest to you is that very few things in your life are a lock. There's very few things that are true, 100% true. Most things, most things that you believe you believe with partial knowledge, or you believe because you have some reasons, or you believe because you trust somebody. So, for example, right, if you've never been to Alaska, but you buy a plane ticket, and you get on a plane that's supposed to land in Anchorage, you're actually trusting a lot of people, right? You're like trusting that you're not going to turn into that show where that plane disappeared and they never came back, right? You're trusting... You're trusting that Anchorage actually exists, right? Most of you don't know anything about flying a plane, but you're trusting that the person in front probably... You're trusting all kinds of things based on very little evidence. 
Now, very little evidence like, you know, maybe you saw a map once in second grade and they took your MasterCard. That's pretty much all your, you know, beyond that, you're just hoping that the plane's going to sit down someplace where there's a lot of bears who could eat you in the middle of the night. It's going to be fabulous for you, right? Do you trust people for all kinds of reasons? And you shouldn't expect Jesus to lock everything in uh, the way, you know, everything, the, the way 2 plus 2 is 4 is locked in. It's, Jesus comes in just in normal life. You just kind of move through life. And so when Jesus says, blessed are those, as he says to Thomas, who haven't seen and yet believe. I mean, he does say to Thomas, if you want to stick your hand in right through my side and touch my heart, it's all yours. I mean, just push it way far up in there. But you know what? Um, it's good if you don't, you know, keep breaking that open because it's trying to heal up. So uh, there's some good reasons to believe Jesus or believe in Jesus or believe about Jesus. I mean, a lot of people saw him rose from the dead. Maybe not you, but then maybe you did. Like Paul, for example, right? He wasn't there on Easter morning, but he did see Jesus. Or he does a lot of miracles and a lot of people saw him. Now, just by the by, um, the world is filled with people who can do miracles, right? Uh, you know, my favorite one was the guy, uh, the uh, priest in India who had, um, you know, a bowl. He'd take a bowl and show it to people. It's empty. Then he would turn it upside down and rice would rain out on the ground. And then he'd turn it back and show it to people. Or there's a, there's a Buddhist monastery in Thailand where the nuns hover above the water every day. And if you pay a quarter, you can watch them do it, you know. I mean, you tell me what's going on. Here's the thing. I mean, things happen all the time, demonically and otherwise, uh, but you have to sort things out. Nevertheless, there are some things that are beyond your horizon. So Jesus rises from the dead. Some people saw it. Jesus does some miracles. Some people saw it. I turned the page. More importantly to you is that Jesus shows you mercy. And that's the sort of thing that would change you. And if you don't believe that, um, the reason you don't believe it is you've just been around too long. It's like when you take your wife for granted or your husband for granted, right? On your wedding day, it was all about, oh, we love each other, we'll stick together, better, worse, richer, poorer, blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, nine years in, you know, you're looking like, what? Right? So, you know, I mean, what happens is we grow used to people and familiarity does breed contempt. And that happens for Jesus too, right? Because there was a time when you were lost and nobody loved you and you were all alone. You had nowhere to go and you didn't have this group of people and you had some things you'd done that you couldn't believe you did and they weighed really heavily on you. And then what happens, right? You feel horrible. And then the baby Jesus comes along and says, ah, I love you, why don't you walk with me? This is going to be great. Don't go that way, go this way. And here's some, you know, this and take some of that and want to be part of the gang. You can be part of my family and let's have dinner together. Right? And then suddenly, as Bonhoeffer said in the margin comments today, your, your burden gets lighter, not heavier. Right? But you, can't, you, kind of, you kind of forget, uh, you kind of forget when, that, when that happened. Or, um, frankly, just to be loved in a world full of people who don't love each other much at all, right? So... Um, and now I want to push all the way to uh, faith as trust. So, you know, this famous text that I've given you from James where it says the demons fear or the de- demons believe and tremble. Um, you know, one level of things is there's no God. Kind of the next level up is I don't know if there's a God. 
The next level up is I think Jesus is kind of a great teacher. The next level up is maybe he was a bit of a mystic and could do some miracles. Um, The next level up might even be he rose from the dead. None of that matters until it's for you. As Luther says, uh, the big deal isn't that there's a God. The big deal is that God is there for you. So even the fact doesn't matter. The fact of the matter, the demons know that Jesus rose from the dead. But they don't believe it. They don't agree with it. They don't embrace it. And so what we're trying to do is move us to a place where we all embrace it. And then we do the natural things, which is to love Jesus back and follow him and do what he asks and do the hard things and suffer for him and be patient and not always have to have our own way and understand that real freedom is to live within the family of God. Real freedom is to live within the atonement. Real freedom is to live within our station as human beings and not to pretend that we're little gods, right? This is where we're trying to go. But see, all of this is pulled out of the very simple thing that love builds trust and lets us believe what's true and gives us life. Love, trust, truth, life. And when you bump into people on the street, you should just sort of ask yourself, where are they kind of in that normal epistemological or existential experience? Where, where are people on that sort of, is it, you know, is, it, is it that nobody loves them? Is it that somebody's hurt them and they can't trust? Is it that they will admit to the fact that Jesus is true, but they don't believe him? Or is it that they have you know, found life-giving waters in Christ? And that's the point for the whole church. In the last few years, last few decades, over the course of my lifetime at least, the, cur- the church has virtually lost its notion of mission because it's lost its confidence that what Jesus says is, wait for it, true. Or truer than other things. If you, don't think, if you think Jesus is just one of many spiritual people, or just one of many mystics, or one of many brilliant teachers, or one of many saviors, there's no impulse for missions at all. And you can kind of see that across the church. Missions of like, right? Because, you know, who are we to tell people what to do? Well, you know, there's a critical difference between Jesus and everybody else, which is Jesus does it all, and all other religions ask you to do something to save yourself. Simple, simple, right? The basic question in life is whether Jesus does it all and gives it to you as a gift, or whether... Um, Jesus sort of points you in the right direction so you can be a good boy and a good girl and work your way into heaven or into salvation or into something else. So we sort of lost our way. And then we're so surprised when things don't work. Uh, You know, what we need to do is just recover these very basic things. Jesus loves us when he loves us like he loved the woman at the well. Ah, you know, you've had five husbands and this guy isn't your husband and you know, so Jesus doesn't down her throat about it. He's just like, you know, tell me about that. And how about some water and living water? And then she goes away. What does she do? She doesn't say, I was really intimidated by that guy. She says, come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Right? This is the way Zacchaeus is when he's up the tree. I'm going to have lunch at your house today. This is even the way Mary and Martha are when Lazarus dies. And they're angry and worried and, you know, um, off kilter, and Jesus comes, and if you were here, he wouldn't have died, and why don't you do something sooner, and, and what happens eventually, right? 
Jesus sort of hears them out. He doesn't condemn them. He sticks with them. He speaks the word of gospel. And Lazarus comes out. Okay, that's your paradigm for life. So um, there are some good reasons to love him. Chief among them is that he came to give you really good things. So I've sort of shot you through then point three and point four. The break point is when you can say... The breakpoint is when faith agrees. And agrees doesn't, doesn't mean not along like a demon. It means embrace Jesus for all you've got, body and soul. It actually means to be a disciple. You know, this is why, you know, the new member class, are, they're coming around. Like, some of them look at me cross-eyed like, I've been Lutheran all my life, and what am I doing here? Just the way you all looked at me. And so, you know, but, but of course the whole thing is, this is about being a disciple. And I'm not convinced that, you know, the church in my lifetime has done a good job of teaching people to be a disciple, to say their prayers and tithe and be merciful and go into the world and be a good witness and go to the liturgy and receive the Eucharist and to understand that we orbit Christ. Okay, so this is my two square blocks. And for my two square blocks, and it's your two square blocks too, I mean, this is my two square blocks where I live. For my two square blocks, I want to try to be a Christian. And for my two square blocks, I want you to try to be a Christian. And this is how it works. It's actually very simple. Jesus comes to you in flesh and blood. He loves you deeply in a way that no one else has ever loved you. That elicits a holy response of love in return. Love you, love you back. And gives you the bravery to follow, even through all these horrible things that we're reading about in the last two or three or four weeks of the church here. It's miserable stuff coming up, right? So... Uh, how do, how do we do that, right? How do we become the sort of people that lives out their faith? So I'm, I'm at point number five, believe it or not. I'm even surprising myself here. I thought I was wandering, but there you go. Beyond the fact that Jesus just comes to you, the remarkable thing is that he prays for you. But under point number five, and you know this, this will be a Christmas text, probably Christmas Day, this genius stuff from John chapter one, where Jesus comes to fulfill the promise of a savior and then fulfills all the other promises to you as his disciples. Now just kind of look at this text, all the things that we've been talking about, being one, right? Being beautiful, being strange, being glorious. Look at this text, right? It's all in the first 10 or 15 verses of John's Gospel. So, and this is, I've only taken parts even. You know this, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. So, Jesus is the Word, Jesus is divine, Jesus is God. You know, that's, that's kind of not where we're going, but kind of basic stuff. But here's, uh, you know, this conversation of the Holy Trinity, when they, you know, they sort of shrug their shoulders after Adam and Eve and say, you know, what do we do? And then Jesus says, ah, you know, I'll go remarkable kind of thing. So this is the story of Jesus fulfilling that promise, I'll go, right? So uh, in him was life, there it is. So there's the goal. The word becomes flesh, he dwells among us. In him was life. So Jesus takes flesh and comes to us, why? To give you your life back. In him was life and the life was the light of men. Look, once you meet Jesus and he gives you life, you can kind of see where you're going. Now, that doesn't mean you can see everything. It doesn't even mean, as you'll find out in a couple of weeks from the gospel, 
that your life doesn't seem dark. But Jesus glows in a way that you can follow him, you can sense him, you can hear him, right? Even in the dark. So in him was life, and in him was the light of men. And then you. But all who did receive him, and receive here is the word, we'll look at the Greek in a moment, but the word here is all those who embraced him. This isn't just sort of some intellectual reception. In fact, you know from the Old Testament that one of the grave sins is when your head gets disconnected from your heart, right? You know, one of the greatest condemnations of Israel. This, 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 um, this, this, this group, they worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. This means you talk a big ball game. I just can't tell you how far my love language is from words of affirmation. Like I always, people who's, is your love language word of affirmation? Have you read the book? Have you figured it out? I can't understand you. I don't even know what that means, right? Talk is cheap. I want to see cash money, the Benjamins. Love is action. Talk is cheap. I just, I don't, but I, I mean, here it is. Everybody's different, right? So, um, to all who did receive him, embrace him, love him, pull him close, who believed in him, and these become synonyms, right? To receive him, to embrace him, to trust him, to believe him. Those are all the same. To do what he asks. Those words are all the same. Receive him, believe him, trust him, do what he says. Those are all the same because in a perfect, John's a, John's a Hebrew, he's a Jew, and he's writing for Jews, and to have your head and your heart connected is the perfect Jewish thing. And so, here it is. To all who believed in his name, he gave the power, the right to become children of God. And that should resonate with you, children of Israel, right? Children of God, Paul, adoption. Who were born of God. And so if you've been the new members thing, here it is. Name, born of God, this is baptism. You're reborn, you're born of God. Jesus will go through that with Nicodemus in John 3, right? And the word became flesh, became bodied, became one of us. And he created a relationship with us. He dwelt among us, he tabernacled among us. So you have all these elements of God arrives, God stays, God loves, God protects God invites you to be with him. You're never alone. You're never unloved. So Jesus embodies what it is to be human. And he arrives and shows you what that is. And he embraces you and takes you into his family. And when you see that, you've seen the most holy thing, which is the definition of glory. Glory, the definition is, it's the holiness of heaven come to earth, right? So heaven is glorious, because everything is holy. You pray this in the Lord's Prayer. Um, Who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. You're praying for the glory of God to come among you every day when you pray that. So, what happens? He comes, he dwells with us, he creates a relationship, he lets us see him for whom he is, he lets us realize that he's full of grace and truth. You see how this works? He comes to us, he loves us, he creates a relationship with us, He lets us see him, and when we see him, we realize that he's not like other human beings. Come meet a man who told me anything I ever did. People can't do that. 
except for Jesus, right? For from his fullness, right, we've received grace upon grace, the title of Kleinig's brilliant book. From his fullness, we've received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one's ever seen God, right? The only God who's at the Father's side, he has made him known. So that's the entire paradigm of the Christian life. That's the entire model of the Christian life. It's the model for your life too. It's the model for my life. That you become fully human, which in our case means to be fully forgiven. That's as close as we get to you know, Eden in this life. The closest you ever get to Eden is when you've just been absolved, when you've just had the Holy Supper, when you've just been baptized, right? So Jesus comes, the second Adam, right? Fully human. And he loves us and he invites us to be fully human, full of grace and truth. And he takes us into his family and he gives us all of those things, which makes you, frankly, unbelievably attractive to other people. Not just people here whom you know, but people to whom you are other or otherworldly, right? The church is so nervous all the time that it has to think up a new way to do things or has to capitulate to what culture looks like. Or we have to be just like them. No, the church is otherworldly. It is something else. There's no reason to cross the threshold of this church if it's just like everything else. If you're cranky, if you're unforgiving, if you gossip, if you're mean... If no is always the answer, why would anybody come to church? You can get that in line at the Starbucks, right? All you got to do is drive down the street. You can get a full measure of that, sometimes with symbols and gestures and, you know, like bowing. I don't know what you're thinking about. I'm talking about head nod. What you're thinking about, I don't know. But, you know, there's all kinds of people who want... No, this is the one place you can come in imitation of Christ, where people love you and you're welcomed for whatever you are and you're forgiven and tuned up and filled with grace and truth. And if you just sort of live that through, you figure out that this is a better life than any other life. And then suddenly you realize that it's better than any other life because it's divine and it follows Jesus who is holy, who is God. And, you know, then your death doesn't become so bitter because... When you die, it's your completion, your telos, your end, what you were always meant for, as opposed to um, you're not here and now we're really in deep trouble. I heard Kendall preached a great funeral sermon yesterday, so that was really good, right? Good for him. So here's the thing. The story is in those first 18 verses of everything we've been doing. But then, I, you know, because I'm skipping ahead to where Jesus will pray for you, and of course, what that means is I'm now skipping ahead to two Sundays from now because I've swung and missed at this pitch three weeks in a row. But, you know, stick with me. I'll try to be back. So, if you, right, here you go. If you agree with me, if you continue in my word, then you're my disciples, right? So this is, I'm under number five. In case, I, got you, I got you paged around now. I'm just in the, the, you see the check marks, follow the check marks. The first bit was John 1. So the first bit is, this is the story of Jesus. And now this next bit is, Jesus gives you his story with his promises. And then the next bit is, Jesus prays for you. Okay, but um, here we go. 
If you agree, if you continue in my word, if you embrace my word, if you listen and do, if you give me your lips and your heart and your hands, then you are truly my disciples. And for the first time in my life, you'll know what's true and you'll be free. Isn't that strange? Because the reason we're bound and the reason we're enslaved, the reason we betray and the reason we lie and are lied to is because we're less than human. Because we continue in our sins, because we refuse to be Jesus' disciples. If you agree, if you follow, if you embrace, if you confess, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples. And this is the automatic thing that happens for disciples. So touch, touch, touch. Touch of absolution, touch of scripture, touch of Holy Eucharist, touch of love. Touch, touch, touch. This is what automatically happens. You begin to discover what's true. If you continue in my word, then you're a disciple. A disciple is somebody who sits in the dust and does what he's told. Soaks everything in and then acts, right? So over and over you're getting this thing of like hearing and doing or lips and heart and hand or being a full person. There's a dozen ways to say this. But the point is, Jesus come to you and loved you and turned you into something different. Your difference is you now know what is true. And when you know what's true, you become free. And free doesn't mean you can do anything you want. Free means you do what Jesus asks you to do. Because there are some things that just aren't good for you. I, I, I've told you this story before, but it was the most, one of the most interesting things ever. I had a young guy who was in for private confession and this and that and, you know, normal young guy stuff. Um, you're trying to say, you know, not A, B, and, you know, it's, and then at the, kind of at the end, you know, he says to me, so what you're telling me is that my sins just aren't good for me. I go, as a matter of fact, that is what I'm telling you. And I'll tell all you too, and I'll tell myself, your sins just aren't good for you, right? It's not good for you. If you're free about everything, then you're free to sin, do whatever you want. But guess what? There are some things that are not good for you. So ultimate freedom is to live within the image of Jesus in holiness and love. That will increase What's true? That will increase what's free. And suddenly, and you've had to have met people like this. I mean, I've met a couple of people like this in my life. They are just some other kind of person. Nagel was like that. He was a different kind of person. Right? He just at some other level of what's going on in his life. You know, that's, you know, that's the aim for you and for me. But it doesn't come because we work for it. It becomes because... It's given to us, and we welcome it, embrace it, obey, and it kind of has its way with us, okay? So, you know, and you could just sort of trace this. If you continue my word, you'll know truth. If you continue my word, you'll be free. If you continue my word, you'll have life. I came, they have life, and they would have it abundantly. This is like going back to Eden kind of freedom, abundance. Like, you, you know, without the worry, without the fear, without the scarcity, Right? One, of the, one of the great problems of churches is they always run with scarcity. You know, it's always like, what can't we do? Or how could we ever possibly? Right? That is a sinful kind of mindset. To work with scarcity as opposed to abundance. I mean, it's antichrist rather than Christ. Here it is right here. I've come, they'd have life, and they would have it abundantly. And then, um, then the other side. So if you don't have sufficient... You know, follow Jesus. If you're troubled, follow Jesus. 
Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe me. Trust me. Hey, I'm good for it. Look at what I've done for you. Why would I let you go the next time? Why would I betray you? You might betray me. Why would I betray you? Whatever gave you the idea that I would leave you alone? Name one time, just one time, says Jesus, where I let you down, where I didn't stick with you. Name one time. Right? That's what this is. Uh, You know, don't be troubled because you should believe in God. You believe in me. And believe just means have the gifts we're given. Agree with me. Haven't I loved you? Haven't I found you? Haven't I shown you? Haven't I blessed you? Right? And if you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. Right? So here's my names, and you work it out, and you can have anything inside my name. So call his name Jesus. He'll save his people from their sins. So if you've got sins, you should say, Dear Jesus, then you should let him know what's cooking. And if you love me back... You'll keep my commandments. I've said this to you before, but for me, the saddest text in Scripture is, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? I mean, that's tragic. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? It's just, you know, it couldn't be crisper. To be a disciple is to do what he says, not because you're forced to it, Because you understand that it's good for you, that it's loving for you, that it's best for you, that it blesses you, that it gives you joy, that it fills you with abundance, that there's stuff running over for other people, that it's not scarce, that it's wonderful. Why can't the church be like this? The church can be like this, at least in our two square blocks. You know, you can only control what you can control, but, I mean, pay attention. you're, You're wonderful and you have a wonderful thing. You know, hold on and do better. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So Jesus' joy comes into you and he displaces whatever you think gives you joy. Right? It displaces you. All right. Uh, I just, I'm going to take credit for, it's 0-2, but I fouled the last pitch. Because you can see, once again, I've given you the high priestly prayer. So when we come back and get to know each other again... In a couple of weeks, I know we'll hardly be able to remember names and faces, but in a couple of weeks, you come back, I promise you, because here's the thing, I'm not going to prepare anything in advance of this. What happens is I go home and I think, ah, this didn't make any sense and it's complicated and I didn't do that quite the way I wanted. This is all I want you to remember, right? You need a paradigm for walking down the street, which is the Lord really loves you. The proof of that is that Jesus takes flesh and blood. When he touches you, he gives you all his gifts, including his Holy Spirit. That lets you have a different kind of life and love him and believe him. So, when he loves you, you trust him because he tells you things that are true and that gives you life. It's as simple as that, but it's, everything is contained in that. And that's what it means then to be otherworldly, to be different than the rest of the world. Let's, let's work at it, right? Let's work at it. You shouldn't take for granted what you have here, especially in each other and in the Holy Liturgy. You shouldn't take that for granted. You should work at this, because it's not easy to come by, and it's not easy to hold on to, and frankly, it's not available in very many places. All right. Got to go. See you in a couple weeks. Love you. Have a good Thanksgiving. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.